So I have to say, so this uh, this work is part of an of uh, an ARC project, so Australian Research Council project on conscience and conscientious objection in medicine, uh, which I'm working on together with Jeanette, Steve, and, and Julian in Australia. So yeah, I feel like I have to acknowledge the Australian Research Council for this, and also the Center for Applied Health and Public Ethics at Charles Sturt University, where I am based. Uh, so the, the problem I always have when, uh, when discussing conscientious objection is that it's hard to find, it's hard for me to find a principle or a reason whereby we could justify conscientious objection in some cases, but not in all cases. So when we talk about conscientious objection in medicine, we're talking about an exception we want to make, or some people want to make to certain rules, certain norms, certain principles. Uh, in the case of conscientious objection to abortion, so we're talking about an exception to a law that grants women a right to access safe abortions, and uh, at the same time uh, poses a duty on the medical profession to provide that service. But within this context, we also want to say that some doctors can be excluded from this duty, uh, so the duty is collective, more than person. But the problem with making exceptions of this sort is that we want to have good reasons for the objection, sorry, for the exception, uh, because we don't want to grant too much. So we want to allow conscientious objection to abortion. We, when I say we, I mean most people do. I, do, I don't want, but most people do. Uh, and so we have in mind some clear cases, particularly <coughs> abortion, uh, contraceptives, medical systems to die. Uh, but we don't want to allow too many objections, right? So even advocates of conscientious objection want to pose some limits. And I have a problem with this issue of posing limits to conscientious objection. So in, in another paper, I argue that if we, if we allow conscientious objection to some cases, there is a reason why we shouldn't allow to in all cases, in medicine, and also outside medicine. Uh, but I take it that <coughs> if the <coughs> principles we use to justify conscientious objection to abortion would also justify uh, conscientious objection to certain other procedures, then that principle doesn't really work. So we, we, we can't really rely on that principle. Uh, so let me give you a, a clear example of a case, an imaginary case, uh, in which I would assume that most of us wouldn't want to grant conscientious objection. So suppose you go to the doctor and because you have an infection or because you, you want to be vaccinated, so need a vaccine injection, uh, but the doctor tells you, <coughs> sorry, I can't do that because I, I don't provide uh, antibiotics or vaccines because I am against these things because, say, I think that bacteria or viruses have some sort of moral status. I don't want to contribute to killing a bacteria or viruses. Uh, so I'm not doing that. Uh, so this is a... Imagine, I hope it would never happen, but the point is that 
if we use a certain principle to justify conscientious objection to abortion, I assume we don't want the same principle, the same reason, <coughs> to also force us to justify conscientious objection in this case. Um, if the same principle that we use to justify conscientious objection to abortion would also imply that conscientious objection to these cases, in this case, is justified, then I take it that that principle doesn't work. It's not a good principle. Um, but I think that is exactly what happens with the kind of the justifications we use to defend conscientious objection. Uh, so the point I want to make in this paper is that there is no principal reason uh, to grant a right to conscientious objection to doctors. By principal reason, I mean there is no moral reason. So what we are interested in are is moral reasons. Okay, uh, advocates of conscientious objection want moral reasons to justify a right to conscientious objection. It's not that they want to defend. They want doctors to be able to object because otherwise Catholic doctors would have a strike and so they would disrupt the service. It's not about that. It's not just practical or pragmatic reasons. They want moral reasons. Uh, for example, one example of moral reason is the value we attach to moral integrity. So this is Mark Wickler's position. So he says moral integrity is important. Uh, there is a value in it for a number of reasons. Uh, so this is a moral reason moral reason in favor of conscientious objection. Uh, a moral reason for granting a right to conscientious objection. Of course, they need not, need not say that this is an absolute right. So no one says that because moral integrity is valuable, then doctors should be able to object to everything. Usually there are some constraints we put on this right. So we have a reason in favor of conscientious objection but then there are other reasons against conscientious objection. Well, other reasons to be balanced. Okay? For example, we want that patients to be able to access safe and legal abortion anyway, if they have a legal right to that. Uh, we want the objection not to be disrupted of the service, and a number of, uh, a number of other conditions. But my point is that even with these constraints, so even with these limits we put on conscientious objection, Exactly the same principles we use to justify conscientious objection to abortion would also imply a defense of conscientious objection to vaccination or antibiotics, for instance. And therefore, I think these principles don't, don't work. Uh, and also, we'll tell you something more later about why we need such a principled reason to defend conscientious objection, or we can't rely just on pragmatic reasons. Uh, but let, let me tell you a bit more about these principles, these values that are typically used to justify a right to conscientious objection. So when we talk about conscientious objection, and when we talk about conscience, we're using a concept, so the concept of conscience, that is not really related to any substantial moral content. So uh, there is no logical nor moral connection between the notion of conscience and opposition to abortion. So this is, seems very obvious, but uh, sometimes I think it's not made ex explicit enough in, in the debate about the conscientious objection. So my conscience might be opposed to abortion. Uh, so in which case, if I become a doctor, I might have reasons not to perform abortions. But my conscience might also be in favor of abortion. So that if I become a conscience and 
I live or work in a place that where <coughs> abortion is not practiced, my conscience might still tell me that <coughs> I ought to perform abortions because, for example, I think that women have a right over their body or that fetus don't have any particular moral status. So I want to make this explicit because sometimes this aspect is overlooked. When we talk about conscientious objection to abortion, we tend to do this overlapping between, between substantial moral issues, for example, about the moral status of fetuses and issues about the value of conscience. Uh, so conscience is, so to speak, a, an empty box. So you can fill conscience with any kind of moral content. Um, someone wrote that uh, conscience has an identity problem in this sense because you can fill it with any kind of moral content. And in fact, the values and principles that are usually deployed to justify or to defend the right conscience objection don't make any reference to substantial moral issues about the morality of abortion, for instance. So these principles and values refer usually to moral integrity, but my moral integrity might be violated either by performing an abortion or by not performing an abortion, in case I believe women have a right to access safe and legal abortion. Uh, some people talk about uh, dignity, so the dignity of doctors is important, and therefore we shouldn't force doctor to doctors to do uh, something that is against their conscience. But again, again, the notion of dignity is independent of any substantial moral issue about what doctors believe. Often, people appeal to political principles like freedom of thought, freedom of religion, uh, freedom of expression. Uh, for example. Recently, uh, in Spain, the uh, Constitutional Court ruled in favor of, uh, of a right to, for pharmacists to conscientiously object. Sorry, I can't pronounce conscientiously. <laughs> <laughs> I hope, when you don't understand what I'm saying, I'm probably saying conscientiously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Constitutional Court in Spain allowed conscientious objection for the morning after pill and they appealed to uh, Article 16 of the Spanish Constitution, which protects uh, freedom, of, uh, freedom of religion, freedom of ideology, religion, and worship. In the same way, the Italian National Bioethics Committee uh, made this statement in favor of a right to conscientious objection by appealing to Articles 19 and 20 of the Italian Constitution, which, is about, uh, which protects freedom of religion. So also in this case, with these political principles about different kinds of freedom, uh, again, we are not making any reference, reference to substantial moral principles about whether or not abortion is good or bad, or euthanasia is good or bad. It's always about these empty box values. And I think this needs to be stressed. So, because the problem is that, of course, if we rely on these kinds of principles, then we would have to allow conscientious objection in all sorts of cases. Uh, Hugo was making a few examples before, like the dentist who doesn't want to give antibiotics to the patient or whatever. So these principles alone that don't allow us to make any distinction between cases of conscientious objection that we might want to uh, defend and cases of conscientious objection which we don't want to, to defend. 
for example, a doctor who objects to providing vaccines or antibiotics. So this, this kind of principles would grant also, also these doctors a right to conscientious objection. But of course, as I've said before, defenders of conscientious objection do not limit this kind of principle, so they often put constraints on the right to conscientious objection. So we might think that these constraints that are put on a right to conscientious objection would allow us to make this kind of distinction we want between conscientious objection to abortion and conscientious objection to vaccination, for instance. But actually, I think they don't. For example, one of the constraints that defenders of conscientious objection typically put on a right to conscientious objection is that patients should not be harmed by the objection. Okay? So patients should be able to access the service they need, they want, they require, and that is legally permitted. Uh, and this is what motivates what uh, Francesca yesterday called the, the compromise view, well, Francesca's the typical position in the debate, the compromise view, whereby doctors are required to at least inform the patients of a certain option, or refer the patient to a willing doctor, or perform the intervention, for example, the abortion in emergency situations. Now, all these different constraints are motivated, are justified by the need we have to guarantee that patients can access the service. So we want the patients are not harmed by the objection. But of course, with this constraint, we will still have to allow conscientious objection, both in the case of abortion and in the case of vaccines or antibiotics. Uh, if I'm a doctor and I believe that viruses or bacteria have more status and I don't want to provide uh, vaccines or antibiotics, I could simply refer a patient to a doctor next door and the patient could easily ac access <coughs> antibiotics or vaccines. But I think we don't want that, so we don't want doctors to be able to, to do that. <coughs> uh, and consider that the harm to either to patients or the general, the harm for public health uh, may be greater uh, in the case of doctors who refuse to perform abortions than in the case of doctors who refuse to perform vaccination. Uh, because after all, uh, for example, with vaccinations, uh, what we really need is herd immunity. So we don't need every person in the community to be, to be vaccinated for public health purposes. So even, if, even in an extreme case in which a few people would not be able to access vaccination because there would, would be too many doctors objecting to vaccination, say, Still, that might not be as bad as the situation we have where too many doctors object to abortion. As Francesca was saying yesterday, in Italy we have a very high percentage of conscientious objection to abortion. So many women can't access safe and timely abortion. So the harm to patients might even be greater in the case of objection to abortion than in the case of objection to vaccination. But still, we tend to think that, so many of us tend to think that, objection to abortion should be granted, but objection to vaccina vaccination should not. So we need some other reason, some other constraining factor that would allow to distinguish between the two cases. Now, another criterion that some people propose, again, Mark Wickler proposed this 
some time ago uh, in his articles and also in his book, is that the objection must be at least consistent with medicine's core values and principles. Uh, and I find this idea quite appealing, but it has problems as well, because I don't think that consistency with medicine's values and principles allows us to distinguish between the two cases. Because I don't think that objection to abortion is consistent with the values and principles of medicine. Uh, now, the American Medical Association clearly says that abortion, in certain cases, can be or is consistent with good medical practice. So, abortion is uh, taught in medical schools, uh, is recognized as a good medical practice in many. Uh, code of medical associations worldwide, and abortion is ultimately about preserving women's health, either physical or psychological or both. And if there is a principle of medicine that is commonly acknowledged and recognized, is that medicine is about preserving health. So suppose I, I give you this description of this case. Suppose there is a, a woman who goes to a doctor. And the problem of this woman is that she has a parasite in her body, and this parasi parasite is uh, compromising her health, uh, so either her physical or mental health. So she, it prevents this woman from doing what she wants to do in life. She doesn't feel well most of the time because of this parasite. Uh, her long-term plans are compromised as well <coughs> by this parasite. And she goes to a doctor because she wants to get rid of this parasite <coughs> for her health. So unless she gets rid of this parasite, <coughs> her health will be compromised, either physical or mental health. Now, this description fits both the case of a woman who seeks an abortion and a woman who needs an antibiotics because there's an infection, a bacterium, bacterium uh, in her body. So. If the principles of medicine, if the core principle of medicine is preserving uh, patient's health, then again, we cannot distinguish between conscientious objection to abortion and conscientious objection to uh, vaccination or antibiotics. Unless, of course, people will say, yes, but the fetus is not the same, of, <laughs> same thing as a bacterium, so the moral status is not the same. Many people would say that the fetus is also the fetus is a patient of the doctor, not just the woman. And I don't know, that might or might not be the case. The point is that if we, if we appeal to this kind of <coughs> reasoning, we are really not talking about conscience anymore, or freedom of conscience, or dignity, or moral integrity. So we're not appealing on some value or principle related to conscience. We are appealing to substantial moral principles, for example, about the moral status of fetuses or the moral status of bacteria. And that, it might be true that a fetus is not the same as a virus or a bacterium, uh, but then if, if we shift the discussion to this kind of points, then it's not conscious, it's not what is at stake anymore. So we are talking about what is good and what is bad in a substantial sense. And I'm, I'm fine with that, as long as we recognize that 
doctor's conscience is not what is at stake anymore. So we would need to demonstrate, which might be very easy to do, that a fetus is more important than a bacterium. So it, 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 it's like killing a fetus is not as, sorry, killing a bacterium is not as good as killing a fetus. But these are all substantial moral issues. Um, and I think this makes sense in, because uh, I, I don't have any evidence for that, but what I've noticed uh, is that people tend to <coughs> agree with the kind of objections uh, where they agree with the doctor's position and not to agree to arrive to question objection where they don't agree. Say, for instance, if I am in favor of abortion, I am more likely to be against the conscientious objection to abortion. And also, this is particularly true, if I am against abortion, uh, I am more likely to defend, to endorse a right to conscientious objection to abortion. But in, all, in both cases, it, the discussion is not about moral integrity, dignity, freedom. It's about substantial moral issues, about what they think about the moral status of fetuses, or any other kind of substantial moral issue, for example euthanasia, euthanasia, or any other things that I may object to. So this is a, uh, I think this is a general fact. So we tend to agree, we tend to defend the liberty, dignity, this kind of empty box values when we agree with the substantial moral issues at stake. Okay, so it seems that with these kinds of values and these kinds of constraints we put on a right to conscientious objection, we can't really discriminate between cases of conscientious objection that most of us would consider permissible and cases which most of us would not. If you allow conscientious objection to abortion, I see no reason why we shouldn't allow conscientious objection to vaccination, antibiotics. Now you might say, yes, in principle this is true, but, but who cares? Because in the end you will never find a doctor who is opposed to vaccination or antibiotics. And even if there is, it's very easy to solve the problem. You just go to another doctor, you easily find someone else who will do those things. Um, this is true, but I think that still it's important to use this kind of imaginary cases, so exa realistic examples, because there are some cases of conscientious objection that, to me at least, seem as implausible as a conscientious objection to abortion. Uh, well, sorry, I would, didn't want to say that, but I, yeah, I don't mean that. Or conscientious objection to vaccination or antibiotics. So this is a, a survey. Uh, so a few people mentioned this yesterday as well. So this is from the Journal of Medical Ethics, 2012. So this survey by uh, Strickland. So she interviewed some doctors in uh, some hospitals in the UK and she asked what these doctors, so these were medical students, so she asked these medical students what they would object to when they become doctor. Uh, and here are the various answers. So many doctors would object to abortion at different stages of pregnancy. Uh, many doctors also, especially Muslim doctors, object to a number of things including examining uh, or treating a patient intoxicated by alcohol or uh, examining a patient of the opposite sex, even learning about arguments surrounding abortion, uh, 
learning about the clinical impact of alcohol, so all these things. And they have religious reasons for these kinds of positions that you might think that the religion's explanations are reasonable or not, I don't know. The point is that they have religious reasons for these kinds of objections in the same way as many Catholic doctors have religious reasons for their objection mm -hmm. to abortion. So some doctors think, think that there is a, a soul which God infuses the fetus at some point. To me, this kind of objection, so this kind of justification for the objection is not, it's no more reasonable or unreasonable than any of these things, nor than the objection to providing vaccines or antibiotics based on the belief that fetuses or uh, sorry, that bacteria or viruses have moral status. So that's why I think it's important to use this kind of irrealistic examples because we need to find a principle to make distinctions between different cases of conscientious objection, especially because our society is becoming more and more multicultural, so we will have to deal with this kind of things more frequently in the future. New medical options are constantly introduced, which might create moral tensions, like think, for instance, of gene editing techniques uh, or any other kind of case to which doctors might have an objection. So we need a principle to discriminate between cases of conscientious objection that we want to allow and cases that we don't want to allow. My point is that the principles and also the constraints we use now don't allow us to make any sort of distinction uh, that would allow us to protect conscience in some cases, but not in others. So the point is that if we allow conscientious objection to abortion, we would have to allow it in all cases. So these cases, or any other, other, any other case you might think of, including the case of vaccines or viruses. Uh, and I take this to imply that we don't have any principal reason to defend a right to conscientious objection to abortion. But we might want to bite the bullet and say, yeah, fine, let's allow conscientious objection in all cases. Uh, I find it very counterintuitive, but that, that, that's a possibility. Uh, one thing I want, I want to add is that to say that there is no principal reason to defend conscientious objection, so to defend conscience and the, any kind of value we want to attach to conscience, doesn't mean that doctors don't have good reasons or shouldn't have a right to object to certain <coughs> things they might be required to do. The point is that the reasons and principles we would have to use to justify objections should not be related to any kind of value attached to conscience. Not about moral integrity, dignity, freedom, these kind of things. Uh, so I was saying before that in all this discussion, it seems that what matters is whether or not we agree with the substantial moral issues. So it seems that the discussion turns on the issue whether or not there are good reasons for objections. So whether or not it is true that a fetus has moral status or a higher moral status than a virus. So it would be hard to <coughs> give a, a set of objective values to assess all cases of conscientious objection because people don't agree about the moral status of fetuses. But since we are talking about a profession, we do have certain principles and values that are objective in an important sense and that we can use to assess whether or not 
a doctor has good reasons to object. And these are the values and principles of the profession. And first of all, a duty of care toward patients, respect for patients' autonomy, so more in general, beneficence and non-maleficence. So these are the basic principles of medicine. Uh, and on this basis, we can discriminate, I think, between permissible and impermissible objections. But all these kind of arguments don't have anything to do with conscience or with what conscience means or with the value of conscience. So let me give you a couple of examples of objections which I think are should be granted, which I, which I think are justified on this basis. And I think cases in which I think doctors have a duty, not only they should be allowed to object, but I think doctors have a duty to object. And curiously, so both of these cases have already been mentioned this morning. So one is the case of objection to capital punishment. So capital punishment is not consistent with any kind of principle or value of medicine uh, because uh, convicted criminals presumably don't want to die, so it's not a request they make. It's not in their, in, in their best interest to die. They don't have any health-related issue whereby it would be in their best interest to die. But doctors might be required to assist in capital punishment. So capital punishment is legal in, I think, 31 states in the US. And often doctors are asked to assist, so this is legal. And I think in this case, doctors can say, no, sorry, I don't do that. Uh, I think doctors should say, no, sorry, I don't do that, because it's not part of my profession. And, but this has nothing to do with conscience. So a doctor might, in principle, be in favor of capital punishment. So his or her conscience might tell them that capital punishment is a just form of punishment. But still, as a professional, I think a doctor should be allowed to and should object doing that because that's not part of their profession. Another case is a case that also Jeanette mentioned before. So there was this recent case at the Melbourne, at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, where some doctors refused to release some uh, refugee children back to uh, refugee camps, where according to the law they should stay. So all refugees in Australia should stay in these uh, refugee camps. Uh, but doctors thought that, in that case, thought that releasing just these children back to refugee camps would be detrimental to their health. So that would be against, that would go against their duty of care as a doctor. So as a doctor, I can't release these children back to refugee camps because that would be detrimental to their health. And children's health is part of my commitment to my profession. And in fact, one interesting thing is that these doctors uh, did a press release to explain, to justify their position. And in this, in this press release, they didn't make any reference whatsoever to conscience. So it didn't say our conscience, our moral integrity requires us not to uh, release these children. So what they said instead is that we are responsible for providing the best possible care to the child in front of us. As health staff at a leading children's hospital, our duty is to support child health. So they could have easily appealed to conscience, conscience objection, moral integrity, but they didn't, because what mattered in this case, it was their duty as professionals. So they might think that in the end, from a political point of view, it is just, it's a good solution that children and refugees in general should stay in these kind of camps. That, that might be their political view. But still, as doctors, 
they have they should have a right to object to releasing children back to refugee camp and they should I think not, not only should they <coughs> have a right but they should object to doing that because that was that is exactly what their profession requires so a commitment to patient health so the take home home message from all this is that we should drop any reference whatsoever to the notion of conscience in medical ethics because it doesn't do any justificatory work whatsoever and it would allow us, it would imply that we should allow really too many conscience objections which we might not want to so I think that conscience shouldn't, shouldn't have any place in medical ethics whatsoever so that's it <coughs>